my name is Amy Liptak, and I am your First Impressions Coordinator here at church. Last fall, Pastor Tim encouraged us all to try new ministries, try new things, and that is something my husband and I took very seriously, and we tried a lot of new things. Um, one thing that I tried is I started going to prayer team on Wednesday nights. Now, prayer team is who prays over the requests that you all turn in, either through the seatback cards in front of you or on email or website, along with who also prays for those are staff and elders. Um, I have to tell you guys, I have been following Jesus for most of my 47 years, and prayer team has changed me and grown me more than any other practice that I've done. It's that impactful. So may I encourage you all to try prayer team. We meet on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, and we meet in the conference room. And if you want any more information about that or you want to talk more about that, please see me after the service. I would love to talk more about that. I'm also excited because in addition to prayer team, we've started a prayer wall here at Grace, and it's in the foyer out just through these doors. On it, you can place a request. There's tags back there. You can put your request on the wall, and you can either make it anonymous or include your contact information. And then whether or not you put a request on the wall, I would love it if you would grab a request and pray over it this week. Uh, maybe you could do it as a family. Maybe you could do it as a small group. Just grab requests off there. And then if the person does have their contact information, make every effort to contact them and just let them know, hey, I'm praying for you. Um, and then the next week, you can bring the request back, the tag back, and put it in the box. And that indicates that that request has been prayed over. Now, the prayer wall is in addition to the seat back cards. So please keep turning those in so that prayer team has something to pray over. Um, guys, I want to tell you this. The staff, the elders, the prayer team, we have been very specifically praying that everyone who walks through the doors of Grace Church feels loved, valued, and connected, both to Jesus and to one another. Because we get it, life is hard. Just think about what's happened this past week. There have been so many things to pray over. And I'm excited as we lean into the discipline of prayer and we really grow that and we do that, how is God going to work in the life of Grace Church? I'm excited. It's also my privilege this morning. I get to read the scripture reading. So if you would all please stand with me while I read. This is from John 6, starting at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gives you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Join me in prayer, please. Father God, I just am continually in awe of you and all that you've given us, and just that we have this awesome privilege that we get to talk to you whenever we want. I just pray over all of us that we will just continue to take advantage of this awesome gift you've given us, this prayer, this conversation, this relationship we get to have with you. I pray a special blessing over Pastor Tim today as he brings our message, just that his words will be clear and concise, and then we can go be doers of what we hear. Father God, I love you so much, and I love you. I love how you made the plan that while we were still sinning, we hadn't cleaned ourselves up at all. You sent Jesus down to die in our place, and I am just humbled by that. And it's because of Jesus I pray, and in his name, amen. Thank you so much, Amy. Uh, she, uh, Amy mentioned prayer, James mentioned baptism, some of you are new today. There are cards in the seat back in front of you uh, that we encourage you to use. If you have a prayer concern, a question, if you have decided to follow Jesus but have not yet followed through on baptism, that might be your next step. And so there's a next step card in that seat back that would indicate to us that you're uh, requesting information about that step. So please make use of those cards. Take those to the yellow, uh, excuse me, the orange uh, balloons in the commons area, and we would love to respond to you in any way that we can. John chapter 6, verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If you have a Bible with you today, or there's some black ones provided, uh, you might want to have the Bible, the, the passage in front of you today if you're taking notes and want to understand the entire context of, uh, of this passage. The entire chapter, John chapter 6, is one continuous encounter between Jesus and a hungry, actually hangry crowd. Anybody ever been hangry before? Uh, <clears throat> A hungry crowd, an inquisitive crowd who presses Jesus on his identity. They want to know who Jesus is. They're quite offended at his answer to them. Uh, Amy just read 13 of the 71 verses in this chapter. We don't have time to read all 71 verses. Otherwise, we just pray and dismiss. Uh, but these, all of these, these verses go together. So if you want to have that in front of you, just help you uh, to get a context for what we're learning today. We begin today by looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus makes of himself as John records it in the fourth gospel of the New Testament. In fact, John structures his gospel according to seven signs in those seven statements. Seven is the Hebrew uh, number four completion. Seven signs, I'll put them on the screen, go through them quickly. Water into wine, that miracle, uh, cleansing the temple, the nobleman's son, the lame man uh, healing, uh, 
feeding the, the multitude that we'll look at today, healing of the blind man in John 9, and raising of Lazarus from the dead. Only one of them is not a miracle. But John is purposeful in his gospel in calling these seven events signs. Signs. So what is a sign? Uh, we all use signs uh, because we need to know things. Signs tell us things. We need information. We need direction. Signs point us to things. We would be quite lost or confused without signs. We don't live for signs, but we certainly make our lives better because of the signs. We benefit from signs, right? I mean, you find a sign pointing to the Grand Canyon. That's really helpful. Uh, you, saw, you see a sign informing you of the Taylor Swift concert in your city. That is unhelpful. But uh, you, might, you might look at this sign on the screen. If you're unfamiliar with this sign, then you've not traveled lately. Uh, 1,092 miles to go to Bucky's. Goodness, I'd have to stop for gas just in order to stop for gas at, at Bucky's. Uh, here's the deal. You don't park your car and camp out at the sign. You don't pitch a tent at the sign. You take the information revealed by the sign and you move toward what the sign is pointing you to. John calls these seven events signs that point to a person. And John's readers in the first century would understand what he's saying. In fact, in this passage that Amy just read, verse 30, the people, the crowd, this hangry group of people asked for a sign. These people were always asking for signs because they believed that their Messiah would be preceded by signs. That's why they thought that maybe John the Baptist was, was one being pointed to. So John structures his gospel according to seven signs and seven statements. Seven things Jesus did and seven things that Jesus said, all pointing to who Jesus is. It is important for us to get Jesus right, to understand Jesus and know him. These seven statements, again, I'll put those on the screen, the bread of life, the light of the world, the way, the truth, the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the vine. So you might find this interesting. Uh, last week, we learned the name for God in the Old Testament. Moses in Exodus chapter 3, the Israelites are in bondage. Moses is in exile. Verse 7, the Lord says to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. God sees, hears, and knows, and he has come to us. He came to Moses, called out of the burning bush, Moses. Moses says, who are you? Who is your name? God responds by saying, Moses, I am who I am. I am self-existent. I am self-sufficient. I am the ground of all being. In me, all things exist. I hold all things together. I am the uncreated one, the uncaused cause. Translated into English, it would look like this on the screen. It's pronounced Yahweh, Yahweh. In the King James Bible, you find the word Jehovah. Jehovah, in our more modern translations, uh, you'll just simply find the word Lord uh, printed in all capital letters to let you know that this is the Old Testament name for God, Yahweh, I would prefer that they just translate it Yahweh instead of Jehovah or the Lord, but like Moses, who am I? So whatever. Uh, you might also find this interesting. There are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus uses for himself so that we might know Jesus better. 
There are also seven compound names for God in the Old Testament. We looked at some of these last week. Jehovah Rapha, God my healer. Jehovah Nissi, God my banner. Jehovah Sedkenu, God my righteousness. The first one of these compound names that we come to in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh. Yahweh Yireh. Or in English, Jehovah Jireh, God Jehovah is my provider. It, me- it literally means to see. So this name could be translated, the Lord will see, or, the, or better yet, the Lord will see to it. Yahweh will see to it. You have a need, you have a worry, a fear, a hurt, a disappointment, a frustration. Jehovah Jireh, your God will provide. He is a God of provision. He will see to it. As he said to Moses, I see, I hear, I know, and I have come, and I will see to it. I will provide. Reminds me of my parenting days long ago. Any of you parents in the room, is there anything that you have spent more time doing than seeing to your children's needs? Daddy, I'm hungry. Okay, I will see to that. Daddy, I need shoes for volleyball. Okay, I will see to that. Uh, we take care of things, friends. We, we see to things, from school supplies to warding off bad boyfriends. Daddies see to things. We provide. So three things before we get into the text, three things, and and then we'll move on. Number one, Jesus, as we learned last week, picked up this name for God in the Old Testament and applies it to himself, John 8. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. It's translated in the English as one, I am, but he uses two different Greek words and puts them together. So the phrase could be literally translated, I am, I am, or I am that I am, just like God in the Old Testament, I am that I am. That's the first thing. Second thing, what's fascinating about the biblical record is that the first I am statement that we're looking at today is found here in John chapter 6, is given in the context, if you have your Bibles open to you, you will find that this is, uh, John chapter 6 tells us about the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that story? Most of us are familiar with that miracle. It's recorded in all four gospels. That's how important this miracle is. The people are hungry, they have a need, and Jesus sees to it. He provides. Jesus is Yahweh Yireh, Jehovah Jireh, the the bread of life to all in need. In John chapter 6, John ties the most familiar miracle Jesus performs with the most difficult teaching that we'll look at today that Jesus ever gave that created all kinds of confusion and rejection. And it all centers around bread, bread. In the beginning of the chapter, Jesus feeds people bread. In the middle of this chapter that we just read, Jesus declares himself to be bread. And then at the conclusion of this chapter, he invites us to eat the bread, which is himself, to consume him, the bread of life. That's two. And then finally, third thing, what is even more strategic in John's gospel in this chapter is this encounter and the historical context in which we find it. In verse 4, it tells us the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now, this is, this is important. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 followed by the declaration that Jesus is the bread of life and the invitation by Jesus to consume that bread is, is, is all happening in the shadow of the greatest meal in Jewish history and culture, bread. 
the Passover meal, when the children of Israel were preparing to leave Egypt as slaves, God instructed them on how to bake the bread. He leads them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, which we'll come back to in a moment, takes them into the wilderness and supplies them with manna every day, faithfully, without fail, bread from heaven, literally bread from heaven. In the middle of that journey, that desert journey, God God institutes for them a meal, and again, specific about the bread of that meal, reminding them of what Yahweh has done for them, guiding them from slavery and oppression to freedom and prosperity. God saying, when you get to where you're going, you will need to remember this. You will need to remember that. Remember what? What Yahweh has done for you, how God has provided for you. Why do we need to remember that? Because, because your life, life always puts you in situations where you've been before. Maybe you've discovered this. The wilderness is not a one-time opportunity. It is a gift that keeps on giving. And human beings are prone to forget what God has done in our deserts. There will be times when you are hungry. There will be times when you lack, have scarcity and want. There will be drought and famine in your life. There will be fights without and fears within. And you... You will forget that you were here before and that Jehovah Jireh was right there with you, that the Lord saw to it then and he will see to it now. He is your bread. Bread. I like bread. I enjoy bread. Whenever bread is provided, I will take advantage of the bread. I like bread. Some of you, you don't like bread. You like bread. You, any bread lovers in the room? You, I mean, you are partial to bread. Will Rogers said, I have never met a man I didn't like. Some of you have never met a bread you didn't like. Every form of bread. Uh, I was at a nice restaurant just recently, and the waiter actually apologized for being late on the bread. And rightfully so. I mean, there is a statute of limitations <laughs> on how long you can sit there without bread. The ingredients are simple. The experience is amazing. I'll tell you what I love. I love those little round dough balls that they poke a hole in the middle, and they deep fry. <laughs> they glaze it with sugar, and if they do it right, they drizzle a little chocolate on top. That's the bread I can go for. Bread is the basic staple for life. It is essential to life. We live on bread. Bread nourishes our life. Jesus nailed it with his very first I am statement, I am the bread of life. It's an image that we can all understand. And he wants us to know, why is this statement here? He wants us to know that he is the essential, that he is the basic staple, that he is the very source of life. John chapter 6, verse 4, and now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. In verse 2, it tells us that this large crowd was following Jesus, and we later learn this crowd is 5,000 men strong with additional women and children in tow, and lunchtime is coming. Most of you, again, are familiar with the story. Jesus turns to Philip and says, where are we going to find enough bread? And he doesn't know. I mean, this is really going to be expensive. This is a problem. Andrew shows up with an idea, but he's not quite sure, sure, sure that this is going to work. And so Jesus takes this lunch that Andrew offers, multiplies the bread, feeds everyone more than enough, and collects 12 baskets of leftovers, which is, again, not an, an insignificant, insignificant number. 
12 is a biblical number. Some scholars believe that 12 baskets were a message to these 12 disciples who doubted Jesus' ability to feed this crowd. Could be, probably so, but there was much more to it, friends. The Passover feast was near. In the shadow of them celebrating what God had done and how God had provided, Jesus is making a point. These 12 baskets of bread representing the 12 tribes in the wilderness Longing for God's provision, enjoying and celebrating God's provision. Jesus is retelling a very familiar story that all of them knew, undergirding the claim that this sign that he just performed in feeding these people was pointing to a person. The feeding of the 5,000, this story deserves a sermon all its own. But this is not a story told in isolation. It's incorporated in this whole chapter 6 of John's gospel. Again, back to Moses. God sends him back to Egypt with a name, I am who I am, I am who will I, I will be, and what I am, I will do. And so they go back, God inflicts Egypt with ten plagues, convincing Pharaoh to let them go. And how do they escape? Through the Red Sea. The passing through the water. Again, if you have your Bible in front of you, you will notice that the very next event in John chapter 6 is... Well, after the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples, to go back, they decide to go back home across the lake. So they get in a boat, and they travel to the other side, but Jesus is not with them, but decides to join them in the middle of the night during a storm. Again, this is a story that many of us are familiar with, walking on water, passing through the water. Now, this story deserves a sermon all its own, but again, it's all tied together. Jesus is making a point. He's telling a story. He's replaying the Exodus in a matter of two days with the feeding of the 5,000 and the passing through the water. And as usual, everyone missed it. They drove right past the sign. Verse 2 tells us that this crowd showed up because they saw the signs Jesus was doing. But when they were a part of that sign, they just kind of camped out of the sign and completely missed the person the sign was pointing to. So they find Jesus back on the other side of Capernaum. Why? Well, because free food is awesome. Bring on the bread. The way Jesus provided this bread was pretty spectacular. And I don't know about you, but I'm just thinking that, you know, kind of like the wine out of the water deal. I'm thinking this bread was pretty good. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's exposing the motives of their heart. You just want something from me. You don't want me. He's confronting their lack of understanding. You came because of the signs, and you completely missed the sign. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus states clearly what you're looking for, what you're hungry for is me. You don't know that yet. You don't understand that. But you do understand this, that the longing of every human heart is a hunger for love, acceptance, identity. Who am I? Security, purpose. What's my life worth? What is my life for? Fulfillment, happiness, contentment. And Jesus is saying quite clearly that none of those things can be found in physical bread, the material things of this world. He says, I am the person the sign is pointing to. You eat bread to give you life. I am the bread. 
of life. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? This is, re- this is incredible, by the way. I, this is incredible. They're asking the very next day after they were fed out of a miracle, asking Jesus to give them a sign, completely oblivious to how Jesus had fed them just 24 hours earlier. Verse 31, and our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus clarifies the story. The manna wasn't about Moses. It was about God, Jehovah Jireh, giving you bread, pointing to a person that, again, wasn't Moses. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is a person. Just as manna came down from heaven, the son of man came down. It says it seven different times in this chapter that Jesus came down from heaven. Puts Jesus in a whole different category than anyone else, including Moses, making the point, I am not only your provider, I am your provision. Verse 34, then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Question. Have you ever eaten so much that you thought you would never have to eat again? Or never want to eat again? For some of you, every meal is like that. So... I go to bed thinking that what I just ate will sustain me for the rest of my life. I wake up eight hours later looking for the Raisin Brain Crunch. What is that? Friends, that's life. That is life. In this life, the search never ends. The hunger never finishes. Jesus is teaching us in this eternal metaphor that the deepest hunger of your heart can only be satisfied in him, the bread of life, Jesus. Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. What does this first I am statement imply? Number one, you need to feast on what matters. Feast on what matters. Again, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Note the two contrasting words in that verse, the food that we work for and the food that is given to us by Jesus. Food that we work for and the food that is given. This is the nature of life. Jesus is making a point we all understand. We spend most of our day, especially in that culture, in that day and time, most of their day was spent working for food, working in order to gain what we need to sustain our lives. Most of our lives are dedicated to sustaining ourselves. We need food and clothing and shelter. And remember, friends, Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount not to worry about those things because Jehovah Jireh will see to those things. He will provide those things for us, but be careful in what he's saying to us. He's not telling us not to work for those things. He's just telling us not to trust in those things because if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. I mean, we hear that elsewhere in the Bible. The problem is the bread that you work for by its very nature, perishes. Don't give your life to what perishes. You either eat it and it's gone, or you don't eat it and it spoils. Either way, you just have to keep repeating the cycle over and over and over. And is that what your life consists of? Is that your life? You just keep working? Jesus is not 
discounting the reality that we have to provide for ourselves. He's just making a more important eternal point that there are two kinds of bread in the world, bread that is temporary and bread that is eternal. And while temporary bread is necessary, eternal bread is essential. So as we work for temporary bread, we trust in Jesus to give us eternal bread. That's the thing. There are things that we need that we cannot work for. There are things that only Jesus can provide. And he's the only one who can provide it. And he provides it through no merit or work on our part. Am I valuable? Do I matter? What's my purpose in life? Why am I here? From Facebook likes to job promotions, from the new house to the new spouse, drinking too much, eating too much, shopping too much, whatever it is that's too much in your life, Jesus is saying you're working for the wrong thing to give you the right thing in life. I am the bread of life. In the Greek language, there are two common words for life, bios, from which we get the English word biology, the science or the study of life, physically, materially, the reality of life in this world. Bios, the second word is zoe, zoe, referring not to physical reality, but to spiritual reality. It's referring to the fulfilled life and a a life that transcends the material and the physical. This is the word that Jesus uses in John 10.10 when he says, I've come that you might have zoe. Abundant life, fulfilling life, meaningful life, life in all of its abundance, a life that matters. Jesus is the life. He is life. And this is the word that Jesus uses here in verse 35. I am the bread of Zoe. I am the one who brings fulfillment to the deeper issues, to the greater longings of the human heart. Here's the problem. Here's the problem of the world. Maybe this is your problem today, trying to satisfy a Zoe need with a BIOS solution, looking for life in all the wrong places. It was Blaise Pascal who wrote, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. Friends, when people try to meet a Zoe need with a bio solution, it creates a vicious cycle that just simply never ends and it never satisfies. We just keep going back, back to the money, back to the sex, back to the power, back to the alcohol and drugs, from relationship to relationship, from experience to experience, always thinking that this time, this time will be enough. This time will fill my eternal need. I will never hunger again, only to wake up the next morning looking for the raisin bran crunch. Jesus says, I am the bread of Zoe. Feast on what matters. Secondly, rest in what is promised. Rest in the promise. You'll notice John chapter 6, verse 37, verse 39, and verse 40. He says it three different times in three different ways. Verse 37, I will never cast out. Verse 39, I should lose nothing. In verse 40, I will raise him up. Rest in the promise of Jesus. I have the spiritual gift of losing things. I lose my glasses all the time. I misplaced the book that I was just reading a moment ago. I've lost my kids at the mall and at Disney World, even at church. (laughs) I lose my train of thought. I lose my keys. I lose my mind. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus will never lose me. He will never lose me. He will never let me go. 
Jesus does the saving. You need to know that Jesus also does the keeping. You just got to keep on eating. He is your bread of life. He is your security. He is your satisfaction. In the Gospel of Mark, he records Jesus saying these words, for whoever would save his life, whoever would say, who, whoever, who is, who is, whoever, well, that's you. That's me. That's all of us. Jesus knows this about all of us. We, everybody, everybody wants to save their life. We want to preserve our life. We want to protect our life. We want life. We want a good life. We want an abundant, fulfilling life. That's why you say no to the bread sometimes. Not very often, but you'll pass on the pasta, sometimes the dessert. But friends, it's a temporary fix on an eternal problem. And you know that, right? I mean, friends, you eat to live, but you still die. <laughs> eat all you want. Death is coming. All of us long for a life that is imperishable. And yet, in reality, all of our lives are perishing. Anything you might accomplish or acquire in this world will fade away. In this world, you lose everything. What you loved, what you enjoyed, what you worked for, your career, your family, everything you call your own, it's all temporary and terminal. It is an unavoidable reality. It all comes to an end. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Merry Christmas, happy birthday. It all ends in death. And yet, we never quite seem to get the sign. We're still searching after that one temporary perishable thing that we think would give us everything we would ever want to. The problem is we're looking for Zoe needs in bios solutions. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Friends, we call this the great exchange. His life for yours, your life for his, his righteousness for your failure, his wisdom for your foolishness, his love for your hate and prejudice and anger and bitterness. His innocence for your guilt. His freedom for your shame. His peace for your worry. His joy for your pain. He exchanges all of that for us and with us. He is saying to us, I mean, if you've ever had to buy a new car and use your old car to bargain with, I, no, how fun is that? To negotiate. If I'm going to swing a deal, I've got to have something of worth with which to barter. And so you think about this, friends. Jesus is saying, all you've got is a life you're going to lose anyway. So what is that worth? So wouldn't it be in your best interest to trade it for a life you could never lose? And what's so amazing, friends, what's so overwhelming, amazing grace, how can it be that Jesus, the God of heaven, man had come down from earth, he is the bread of life, he is willing to make the trade, that he would be willing to make the trade. So trade what you cannot keep for what can never be taken away. Rest in the promise that you can never be lost in the grip of his hand. Feast on what matters, rest in his promise and stay, stay, stay no matter what. Again, we don't have time to unpack this entire chapter, this, this discourse. It's, I encourage you to go home and read it. Allow me to summarize. Jesus makes the point that he is the man to come down from heaven, the man of the sign pointing to the person who is Jesus. That man that gives life is himself, Jesus. And so the invitation Jesus gives is to 
eat Jesus. I mean, he literally says to consume Jesus. Verse 51, if anyone eats of this bread, referring to himself, Jesus, verse 53, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, and they, they, don't, they, they, don't, they don't get it, and, and who would at this point? I mean, you read this passage, and you'd have the same response that they did. Jesus, what are you talking about? Because this sounds a lot like cannibalism, and that's weird. That's gross, actually offensive. I mean, this and just as a side note, he's not referring to communion because that doesn't happen until seven chapters later. He's talking about something totally different. He's talking about consuming him, taking his life into ours, trading our life for his, his life for ours. He's inviting us to do what the Apostle Paul did in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I have died to myself. I have surrendered my life, and I no longer live. It is not about me anymore. Christ lives in me. It's all about Jesus. I have sacrificed everything to gain the bread of life. Sacrifice your life for mine. Consume my life. This is the great exchange. Believers will one day look back on this teaching as we are doing today, and it will be somewhat obvious to us to what Jesus meant. But in that moment, they, they just couldn't digest it. It just simply did not make sense to them. We were tracking with you, Jesus, until the eating of the flesh and the drinking of the blood bit, and for that reason, we're out. <laughs> Verse 60, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense of this? Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They left him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, we've seen the sign. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, for all the times that Peter put his foot in his mouth, he nailed it on this one. <laughs> I don't get this, Jesus. This, I'm not sure what you're saying. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying. I've seen the sign, and I believe that you are the bread of life. You are not just the provider. You are my provision. So, friends, you have to understand, that when you read this passage, Peter, along with all of the other disciples, and along with the rest of the, they were no less offended or confused by this teaching of Jesus in this moment than anybody else who heard what Jesus had, had said and to see what Jesus had done. They just saw the person to whom the sign pointed and like the wise men in the east, they decided to follow the sign to where it led, and it led to Jesus. I've seen the sign, and I believe you are who you say you are, and for that reason, I'm staying no matter what. Does it, what does it mean, friends, to stay? What does it mean to stay? To stay means that I do what he says, even when I don't understand what he's saying. I do what he says, even when it's hard to do what he says. I just stay because I know I have seen the sign and I've come to believe that he is a God of mercy and love and faithfulness. He is my provider and he is my provision. Staying means that it's okay to have doubts and questions because what Jesus has shown me and what I do understand is enough to trust him for what I don't get. Staying means though he slay me, yet I will trust him. When life is hard, I simply look at the hardship of Jesus, and I know that I've been there before, and every time Jehovah Jireh has been right there 
with me. And so staying means that one day I will find hope in my suffering. I will discover purpose in my pain. I will experience inexplicable joy in my sorrow. But for now, I'm just going to stay. I'm just going to stay. And friends, you need to know life, Zoe, is the reward for those who stay. Friends, I'll tell you, if we, if we are like this crowd who comes to Jesus only for the things we can get from Jesus, we will miss Jesus. Because the point is Jesus. So may we be a church that knows Jesus, that loves Jesus, that feasts on and hungers for Jesus and to find our satisfaction only and always in Jesus. He is our bread of life. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this teaching. And as hard as parts of this chapter are, we understand enough to know that the sign points to you. And for that reason, help us through the power of your spirit to stay faithful in our following, to stay obedient in our misunderstanding or lack of understanding. May we most of all, only and always, hunger for you, for in you is life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Grace Church, and everybody watching or listening online for tuning in to this sermon this week. We hope you'll follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, as well as subscribe to us on whichever platform you listen to these podcasts. Thank you so much. Let's close in prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray your blessings over the online watchers today. I pray that you would just bless them abundantly. Lord, thank you that they tuned in today, Jesus. I pray that you would just strengthen them as they go about their week this week and that you would just bless them abundantly. The Lord bless them and keep them and make his face shine on them. In Jesus' name, amen.